The Rise and Fall of the House of Wills Act 1 Prologue The Many Lives of the House of Wills The Gothic brick building that sits at 2491 East 55th Street in Cleveland, Ohio, has lived a multitude of lives. Built in 1898, it started its life as a German singing hall called the Gessenveren Hall. The architect, Frederick William Strivinger, a 33-degree Freemason, used Masonic symbolism and design elements throughout the 50,000-square-foot space. The club is fortunate to have so large and handsome a home raved the plane dealer after the 1901 inaugural concert. After 14 years, the hall changed hands and became a hospital for immigrants from Hungary. Then in 1920, it changed again and spent 18 years as the home for the Cleveland Hebrew Institute. Then in 1941, it was purchased by John Walter Wills after he won a settlement against the local housing authority for the discriminatory practices. It is at this point where the building receives the name House of Wills. During its operation, the House of Wills was the largest black-owned funeral parlor in the state of Ohio. Known for its elaborate chapels and viewing areas, Wills leaned heavily into the theatrical roots of the building. And, as the founder of the Cleveland chapters of the NAACP and the Negro Welfare Association, he also embraced the original purpose of it being a community center, often hosting civil rights meetings and other community gatherings. John Wills died in 1971. House of Wills continued for several more decades run by family members. However, upkeep of the 50,000 square foot space became too much and the building went into disrepair, finally closing its doors in 2005. It sat empty and abandoned, all of its plumbing and electrical systems completely stripped until 2010 when it was purchased by the current owner, Eric Freeman, saving it from demolition by the city. Since purchasing it, Freeman has been slowly restoring the property, an almost Sisyphean task. There is a lot of rot, mold, and damage throughout every single room in the building, but Freeman is determined to restore House of Wills to its former glory and perhaps let it be a beacon for art and community once again. The Rise and Fall of House of Wills Act One, Scene One, Setting the Stage. The era of procrastination, of half measures, of soothing and baffling expedience of delays is coming to its close. In its place, we are entering a period of consequences. Winston Churchill. 
If I had to boil my entire House of Wills experience from start to finish down to just one word, it would have to be delay. From the moment House of Wills came into my awareness, two seemingly opposing forces seemed to be at play. One was drawing me in, and one was wanting me as far away as possible. Starting right off the bat, trying to get tickets, I had to wait an entire year to find a date that worked for me and my friends. Go figure that the best day for all of us was October 28th, 2023, the day of the full blood moon eclipse. When the day to finally go up to Cleveland finally came, right away I could tell something was off. Here's me talking to my co-host Elliot Tobias about the entire experience. So let's, do you want to go into like your day leading up, like the travel day? Sure. I think that, I think starting there is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Yeah, it's just, it was nothing but interruption. So I woke up and like I had so much uh, like like none of my clothes were good enough. Mm. Like, I was like deep insecurity where it was like, what is happening right now? Yeah. Like, why do I just hate all of my clothes right, right now? Everything just felt uncomfortable. And it just they it just wasn't looking right for me. Yeah. And it like it's not that I don't want to look good. Of course, I want to look good. Right. Everything just didn't fit right or feel right. It just didn't feel right. And, and like, I don't know why it was mattering so much. Yeah. Like, of course, I want to look good. But I'm also just going with two of my gal pals yeah. to a haunted spot. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. But it mattered so much to me. Yeah. Like, I tried on, like, six different outfits. Shut and up. And was like none of this is good enough none of the like yep not going and like and i noted it as it was happening and and it but it was still happening you know i was just like why am i feeling so insecure Mm -hmm. oh and it was just like okay well i guess this is just one of those days i mean it happens you know where you just kind of aren't feeling yourself absolutely so noted it and whatever went to my friend elizabeth's um and her dude man was there uh, met him for the first time. Perfectly nice guy. Um, I tried so hard not to come in hot. I came in a little hot. <laughs> just Don't like fuck I'm just not feeling myself. <laughs> it's okay. We all have those days. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. Is just uh. yeah. Uh, we decided to go to First Watch for mm-hmm. breakfast, and they like, they like uh, have an app and they sign in and that kind of yes, like, yeah, to wait. Yeah, like, that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. So they go to First Watch all the time that yeah. they have the app and and know how to do that. Right, regulars. Yeah. Uh, so we decided to go there. Uh, Elizabeth and I drive separately so that we can leave immediately from the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get out of her garage and she tries to shut the door and nothing it just had stopped working even though it had been perfectly fine like up until this that moment that yep. moment mm-hmm. it just stopped working and elizabeth couldn't understand why this was happening yeah and so she had to like manually disengage it and 
and uh, go through the steps. Yeah. And it slowed us down. Yeah. But it was one of those things where like that shit just happens. So whatever. It's like, like yeah. oh, that sucks, but it's we'll deal with it later. Yeah. Delayed us a little bit. Like, okay, well, whatever. Go to the restaurant. Get there. Dude man has been waiting for us for a minute, but whatever. Yeah. We're there. So the way the like our booth was literally like right by the kitchen. And it was like the serving staff could not remember us. That y'all were there? Yeah. You said that. Even though they have to pass us every time they go to oh. the kitchen. Oh. Right? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like they could not keep us in their minds. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, for me, like after being in restaurants for a long time, I was just like, oh, well, we're here at a peak time. Yeah, they're busy. Maybe they're just, yeah, too busy. Yeah. Or, like it doesn't like it's you know that shit happens and elizabeth's like yeah i get that but we're here all the time we're here all the time (laughs) yeah and this never happens she's like we're here at peak time a lot wow and it never takes this long it's never this bad weird yeah um so that was another moment where it's like man we're getting delayed but Mm -hmm. like again didn't think anything of it perfectly reasonable yeah uh explanation um i oh and i had forgotten my microphone oh that was another delay Mm -hmm. just a a tiny one yeah yeah another small delay um and then finally get on the road we're on 71 and that's when traffic went weird so Every time I try to leave Columbus, Columbus puts up a fight. It's really bizarre. It's okay. either like lots of construction yeah. or people go like just are bad drivers. Yeah. Yeah. And this time we got the bad driver version. So it was 71 and we were outside the Hudson exit, mm-hmm, Hudson mm-hmm. Street exit. Yep. And uh, two cars right in front of us almost collide into one another. Oh, wow. And like one of the cars overcorrected. And was like swerving, swerving really hard. Yeah, like he was gonna tip. Yep. Oh. It like almost went up on two wheels. Didn't, and was able to regain himself so that he didn't actually collide into anyone. Yeah, it was or anything. Super close. Damn. Yeah. And like at that point, I was like pulsing yeah. out. Like, oh my god, save us. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. how do I mitigate this? Mm-hmm. Then immediately after that, mm-hmm. someone was in the exit lane and wanted to be on the freeway and like just last minute almost like just merged into traffic oh and shit. almost hit a bunch of cars oh, and they were damn. able to like they were able to like avoid just it but yeah. just barely wow yeah wow two yeah. close calls like so close to each other and then a third car- <laughs> dead serious immediately Ooh. after that a third car comes speeding up to this cluster of cars uh-huh. Of which we almost saw two accents. Uh-huh. Tailed one of the cars really fucking hard, and then tried to merge over um, to try and get around the all the, the cluster. cluster of cars. Yeah, and like almost merged into How another car. Crazy! All in quick succession. Oh gosh! At yeah. that point, it was like, what is happening? Right. What is today? Right. Yeah. Because now we're starting to see a pattern. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth like slowed down. We mm-hmm. put some space between us and that cluster of cars. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. But luckily 
accidents didn't happen. Yes, okay. Absolutely. Yes. We're moving forward. Safe. Yep. We get about 10 minutes outside of Mansfield and suddenly we come into complete standstill traffic. Like complete, complete stop. Wow. <clears throat> and we are in this traffic for over an hour. No. Yeah. I would have lost my mind. I mean, we over an hour? Over an hour. Uh we when we got to the other side of it, uh a semi had caught on fire. <gasps> And by the time we like got to it, it was a completely Shut burned up. out shell. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> like a fucking fireball just went at it. Damn. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So then, like, there was. A Did point. you feel something in your stomach at that point? Like, like fireball. Why are you shitting right now? <laughs> yeah. What is this? Yeah. What is this? And it was so funny because Elizabeth is like, "So, what do we like turn around?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes, like, yeah. So valid question. Valid question. Super valid. <laughs> yeah. Um and then like she and I both are like, so there's like something happening, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we, we both agree something's yeah. happening. Yeah. Like neither of us are it. being yeah. being over dramatic, like mm-hmm. there is there's some sort of influence happening right now. Mm-hmm. Act one, scene two. Interference and the blood moon eclipse. Let's take a step back for some needed context. Listen to any of my podcast episodes for longer than 10 minutes and you'll hear me mention that I'm an energy clearer. I can't help it. It's one of the most interesting things about me. Me becoming a clear is a very recent radical shift in my life that is the result of both experiencing years of emotional pain and trauma and then releasing it through my nervous system regulation work with my dear friend Amanda Woodward and then integrating all of the lessons and wisdom those experiences had to offer. While I joke that I've become a ghostbuster and exorcist all rolled into one, The reality is that becoming an energy clearer means having a heightened sense of the effects that the unseen stratas of our realities have on our day-to-day lives. In order to do this work safely and not fly off into flights of pure fantasy and delusion, a fairly strict lifestyle has to be maintained. First off, all substances that can take me out of my body have to be completely eliminated. No alcohol, no weed, no microdosing mushrooms, and definitely no psychedelics of any kind. Secondly, proper nutrition exercise regimens are a must in order to maintain my body's ability to withstand large amounts of energy moving through it. Third, and most importantly, A daily energetic hygiene and clearing process must be maintained along with continued trauma release and nervous system regulation. There are a lot of forces of deception currently operating in our world. Some of it has obvious malevolent intent and some of it has well-intentioned desires to help that is still out of alignment with the life-giving force that is referred to as true source. 
When you become an energy clearer, you tend to put a target on your back for these influences to really notice you and mess with you. Using everything from fear to stroking your ego to throw you off course. Most of the deception happens at the mental layer with different types of thoughts and ideas that tend to sound true and as if they're coming from you. And sometimes the deceptive influences are strong enough to mess with your physical reality, creating havoc with your health, finances, relationships, and very rarely your physical safety. That's why it's imperative to maintain the daily practice of clearing yourself of outside influences in order to maintain body integrity and discernment. And even though I knew all of this, I had completely slacked off from this crucial practice for a couple of weeks leading up to my trip to House of Wills, leaving me completely vulnerable to a considerable amount of interference. So, how does the eclipse factor into all of this? There are a lot of different traditions that say different things about eclipses. Modern Western astrology tends to see them as amplifying moments within the moon cycles, often causing accelerated shedding of patterns of behavior and the situations created by them. Eclipses are always very intense and challenging for me. So I'm not sure why I thought this one would be any different. My friend Amanda, the same Amanda that I mentioned before, is part native and grew up in intact native cultures. She told me that she grew up knowing people who wouldn't even leave their houses during eclipses because the energies would be so volatile. Considering how challenging and chaotic eclipse seasons normally are for me, I get it. And even still, I had the seemingly naive and kind of dumb in hindsight belief that there being a full blood moon eclipse on the day that I go to a haunted abandoned funeral parlor was awesome and hilarious and was going to make the experience even more fun and magical. And okay, to be fair, it was pretty hilarious but not exactly in a fun way. More in a series of baffling and unfortunate events, interruptions, delays, and weird synchronicities of a darker variety kind of way. Not only that, but my clearing abilities were the weakest I've ever experienced them. Happening at a time where the veil between the seen and unseen was the thinnest it's ever been in my lifetime. Which leads us to the next part of our story, the haunted Airbnb. One, scene three, the thinning veil and the haunted Airbnb. How wonderful that I and many others are trying to conquer death. 
The breaking down of the barrier is to be the next great work for the world of men, and we can accomplish it only by their prayerful and active cooperation. We are trying to get the earth folk to realize that it is possible to lift the veil now or see through it. But the whole world is so immersed in outside thoughts that it must learn to deepen its consciousness before we can give it all the light possible. From the 1919 book, The Thinning of the Veil by Mary Bruce Wallace. By the time Elizabeth and I have finally reached our Airbnb after our stressful and ridiculous drive, we were more than ready to get into our home for the night and just relax and decompress. Guess what happened instead? Here's me talking to Elliot once again, picking up where we left off. The rest of the drive was fine. Get to the Airbnb. Open the door, cross the threshold, and it is immediate nausea and headache. And like to a scale that I have not experienced in a really long time. Wow. A long time. Like you've been with me. We go into a lot of buildings with earthbound energy, Mm -hmm. even entity energy. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is normally very subtle. Right. Like it's yeah. only subtle headaches, subtle yes. twinges yep. where you're just kind of a little uncomfortable. Like, hmm, yeah. Like you're aware that maybe th- something's not right. Something's not right. Yeah. This was like getting hit with the flu. Oh shit. It was so intense. Right from the get. From the get. It was wow. seconds in. It was that heavy, that intense. Yeah. Elizabeth and I like got in. We both like walked into the front door and we're like, no no yeah (laughs) what we like still walked the length of the of the apartment Mm -hmm. just to check it out Mm -hmm. and we're just like oh no this sucks and so we went back outside Mm -hmm. and that's where i made the um the reel on instagram yeah called uh rachel called rachel and was like hey like our Airbnb is haunted. If you want to check it out, get here now before I clear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I called Rachel, our calls kept getting dropped. What? More interruption. Okay. I could not, like three, I think it was three different times. Yeah. The call dropped. Okay. And so she, we finally, it was finally like, she. I texted her yeah. my address and was like, <laughs> just get here. Just come right now. So she... She got there, but she had the GPS had sent her to the wrong address, to the wrong, to the street over. Your Airbnb was like, don't come here. Yeah. Don't come here. This is Rachel Dunkel talking about her experience with the haunted Airbnb. But yeah, you mentioned like the day too, because we both had like you more so than me, but even we had... You know, when I was trying to call you on the phone that day, it kept dropping. You got Um, sent to an entirely wrong street. I didn't get sent to an entirely different street. Google sent me to the right street. I went to the wrong house. Poor girl. You were a street over. Yeah. Well, it was the same address, but instead of West 10th, I was on West 11th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knocking at this poor girl's door. You put in West 10th though, right? Yeah, I mean, I put in the proper address to come to you but i don't 
being that it's in it's it's in such a little square mm-hmm. area, I think that I thought I was on the right street, and it's like you've arrived, and then it kind of stopped, and I was like, oh, okay, and I saw that the address, whatever it was. So it told you arrived. So that wasn't just you being. That's after I had drove around the block, like I passed the house, okay, and then ended up on like another street. Interesting. So this, I think this was just me not paying attention or whatever, but um, yeah. So I'm, you know, and I see the address and I'm just like, Oh, that must be it. Right. But the address number was on the wrong street, right? the street behind it. And so I'm like banging on the back doors, poor, I'm banging on the front door. I tried to open both the doors. Cause I just figured you guys were in there. Right. And then this poor girl answers the door, like peeks one eye out and she's like, uh, and I was like, are you Corinne's friend? Cause I had never met her before. Right. right. So I'm like, Oh, are you Corinne's friend? She's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. Like she's, who's this crazy lady? So <laughs> she's like, but then, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, isn't this, you know, in a blah. And she goes, yeah, but it's West 11th or 10th, whatever the opposite right. street was. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so found you, and you had already tipped me off that something was amiss, and you guys were outside. <laughs> yeah, we were <laughs> not staying in that place. Hey, we can't even go inside. Um, thank goodness it was a nice day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just like I said when I went in there, it just felt um awful. <laughs> I walked in, and my knee, and it wasn't a it wasn't a chilly day in Cleveland. Nope. I got out of the car, walked into that house, and my knees were just like knocking together. Like, yeah. It was weird. Right. And I mean, I was just like, ick. Before we go any further, let me set the scene with how this Airbnb looked. If you're extra curious, go to the Which Way From Here Instagram page and check out the reel that I made going through the apartment room by room. Okay, so this space. When you first enter into the property, you step into the family slash living room. There's a couch on the right side of the wall and two armchairs that frame the front windows. To your immediate left is an open room with a bed in it looking very out of place. Beyond the living room slash family room is the dining room, the only comfortable space in the whole apartment. Directly to the left of the dining room is a bedroom and next to that is the bathroom. Then you go through a very narrow hallway to the kitchen. Off to the right of the kitchen is a third bedroom. This bedroom was the second most comfortable room in the apartment, which really isn't saying much, uh, after the dining room. And it was supposed to be Elizabeth's room for the night. My room was going to be the front room because I wanted nothing to do with that middle bedroom. Honestly, I wanted nothing to do with the whole apartment and Elizabeth felt the same. The whole place was decorated with World War II paraphernalia and had a dense, heavy, suffocating, stagnated feel to it. So now I want to play the audio of the recording that I made of Rachel's walkthrough when she first arrived at the Airbnb. Also, which is weird because it butts up against this room with that closet. 
this room feels like super. Yeah, yeah. I think because the dining room. So I'm recording now because you're you're getting good stuff. Um, the dining room is the one place that feels like it's safe, and I think it's because it was the heart of the home, where they, you know, everyone's okay. had their happiest memories. They're more the most, you know, um, memories of connection. Like Elizabeth was saying that because we were talking about how you like you can just feel the two grandparents here who are stuck in the bygone era of World War II, where they thrived, that that was their youth, that was their identity, and they stayed there, and they got disconnected as the rest of the world kind of passed them by, and that they're, like, searching for connection because they isolated themselves. I get, I feel like everybody's sitting around in here listening to the radio that was probably yeah. in the corner, like, on the floor, like, very family-oriented. Yeah. I don't think it's... I think it's sadness. Definitely. I don't think it's anything um, malicious. No, no. And that's the thing. It's not about... It doesn't mean, though, that it wasn't... There were some very sad... I don't know. That closet in there and then this room, I'm telling you. That's... The She's, rest of the house, to be honest, like... I didn't like the bathroom a lot, but it's also because it's kind of dirty. That kitchen has nothing. I don't even think that was here. I don't know what that was. They couldn't have built it on. And there's that other bedroom back here. Yeah, it's that weird... Like, there's just weird bedrooms. It's such a weird floor. This... Ugh. Yeah, it, like, this the feng shui be, is just all wrong. It's right there. It's, like, almost like this isn't part of the house. Yeah. There's a lot of weird locks in here. In a lot of weird places behind stuff. Did you notice the hooks in your... That one room? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'm actually going to get any kind of rest. Uh, I knew that Elizabeth wanted the... Like, why wouldn't you just put it on the outside and lay down? That's weird to me. What is? What was in there? Maybe they had a... Uh, nope. Sex swing. I don't know. <laughs> no, I That's the only logical when I When I first came in here, I saw an elderly woman with an oxygen tank laying in this bed is how I saw it. Maybe that was to hoist her up. This is just, yeah. I don't know if it's the chair being there or something, but that closet. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's like, I like the, if it was clean and true to, true to anything, I'd like the decorating as well, but, but mine looks um, a little, but all the houses around here are kind of from the same, like, you know, they all look the same. Yeah. Because they were all built probably around, I mean, yeah. I, that's why I think I bet you this is like a 1913 or something. Okay. I'm going to clear it. You guys Look are welcome to join if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I need to do something about this. I feel like now. you're going to be better served on your own. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. If you guys... We'll send good vibes. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth is like, I am I out. I don't give a shit. Like a bad, bad I've had just, enough. I feel like it's just really a sad. There's just a lot of sadness in there, and I don't think it comes from a place of maliciousness. I think, yeah. it, I think it comes from a place of just almost like a deep love, hurt, which doesn't come without its hurt, obviously. But yeah, I don't know. That's just what I'm. I'm no, I'm, we we read that as well. It's. Because it's not about just good or bad. That's not the point. Right. The point is that whatever here is stuck, trapped, and sucking mm -hmm. the life out of it. 
there's a lot of love here and I think that it's still holding on to that love and it needs to go do other things. Yeah. Instead of staying here, go bless others. Go go do something else. Yeah. All right, so are you, am I doing this alone? Not alone. Yeah. Yes? Okay, then. That's fine. That's fine. Can you believe them? They're all like, go handle that on your own, Corinne. We are not here to help you with that clearing. Uh, it's joke. It was totally fine. Okay, so before we move on with the actual clearing, let's talk about the phrase, the thinning of the veil. What does that even mean? I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole for an already long episode that is now a two-parter, but I do think that some explanation would be useful. The word veil is used to describe the invisible barrier that prevents humans from perceiving the spirit or quote-unquote unseen world with all five of our day-to-day senses on a regular basis. In every human tradition, there is an acknowledgement of the spirit world, and for good reason, because it exists. I'm going to do a hot take here and say that the so-called Age of Enlightenment and reason were in fact neither, at least when it came to the shutting down and deconditioning of human intuition. But that is for a different episode. The barrier between the seen and unseen worlds tends to soften at certain times of the year, Halloween being the most well-known. Reality itself seems to be a bit more malleable at these times, and it makes it easier for the beings that are hanging out in the spirit world to affect the world of form. This year, the veil was particularly thin thanks to several different factors, one of them being the eclipse. There's just this palpable sense of unease in the air during these times. And October 28th seemed to be that on steroids. With the barrier between realities paper thin, the three earthbound beings that occupied the Airbnb had far greater influence over that space than they would have had otherwise on any other day. So what are earthbounds you ask? Oh boy. So this is a very abstract, complicated conversation to be having, but I'll try and keep it simple. Essentially, earthbounds are what most people refer to as ghosts. The problem with the word ghost and why I don't use it is that it is a catch-all pop culture word for all sorts of unseen phenomenon that tends to happen mostly in buildings. It lacks nuance and comes with a whole lot of baggage is what I'm saying. To properly explain what earthbounds are, a couple of things need to be understood. First is that the earth possesses an energetic grid similar to, but not exactly like ley lines, And over a millennia, that grid has been distorted. How did it get distorted? Buy me a seltzer water with bitters at some point and we can get into it. Just understand that this energetic grid was tampered with so that it was no longer working properly. The second thing to understand is that the idea of the ghost in the machine 
or that we have a soul in our bodies is incorrect, or at the very least, it is incomplete. Our physical bodies are actually continually emerging from the much larger field of information known collectively as our energetic body. We humans are far larger and more expansive than just our meat suits. What we call death is the dropping of the physical body from our energetic fields. And what should happen is that our energetic fields then get reintegrated into source. Again, this is a gross generalization because of, well, a lot of things, but the major reason being trauma, fragments of our energetic field that are denser can get caught in the distorted earth grid. These fragments tend to be, but not always are, aspects of an individual that has caused some sort of suffering. Things like addiction, grief, fear, victimization, rage, etc. Obviously, there are a lot of exceptions, but again, we're going broad strokes here. Earthbounds are a type of consciousness. So they're able to access memories and they tend to have a personality. They often gravitate towards living family members. However, it is very important to remember that earthbounds are not a one-to-one representation of the living individuals they came from, even if it seems they have all their memories, all their personalities, and truly want to be in the lives of the living family members in the same way that that individual wanted to when they were alive. These consciousnesses are no longer able to generate their own energetic field, so they have to attach to other people and spaces in order to maintain themselves. And because we live in a reality with the law of attraction at play, like attracts like. So if an earthbound happens to exist because of addiction issues, they will seek out living addicts to attach to, amplifying those tendencies. Again, none of the information I'm providing has hard and fast rules, and this is just what I've been discovering as I do this work. So take it or leave it. Either way, the lesson here is that it's not healthy for living individuals to have prolonged exposure to earthbound influences because it is a parasitic relationship. That does not mean that they're bad or evil, though sometimes they can come off that way if the individual they came from was kind of a shithead. They are just what they are, which is energy drains. Think of them as like energetic mosquitoes. So while some of them use fear to feed, they're not really worth being afraid of as they are the easiest energies to clear out of the space. Oftentimes, actually every time, they want to go. They're living in a type of limbo. It's not an enjoyable existence to be an earthbound. Now that I've thrown you, my audience, into the deep end of the abstract reality pool, let's go deeper.
one, scene four. Consent, nostalgia traps, and time fields. It isn't necessary to imagine the world ending in fire or ice. There are two other possibilities. One is paperwork and the other is nostalgia. Frank Zappa. When I've talked about clearings in past episodes of the podcast, it's normally in the context of getting rid of and transmuting old, stuck, non-life-giving influences, emotions, and beings that are causing issues in individuals and spaces. If you haven't already, go back to episodes four, The Clearing of My Friend Liz's House, and episode three, my interview of Amanda Woodward, who developed the protocol that I use. Those two episodes in particular will give you all the information necessary to understand what I do to clear a space. When I engage in a clearing, I am connecting my body source connection with the source connection of earth and then use the guidance of my higher selves to emit a series of frequencies that I layer into a space or an individual that I am working on. The different layers of frequencies that I use are tailored to whatever happens to be present in that moment in time and that I have consent to release. This is a key point that I really want to emphasize. I do not and will not engage in any clearing where I have not been given consent, whether it's the individual that I am helping, the space itself, or my higher selves connected with true source giving me the go ahead. I want to make this point for several reasons. One, maintaining integrity is crucial to not flying off into delusion and getting sucked into the allure of corrupting power. Two, most if not all corrupting, non-life-giving influences are predicated on the erosion of personal sovereignty through codependent, parasitic relationships. More on this in a bit. Three, almost everything in our realities is alive and holds a type of consciousness, even seemingly inanimate objects like rocks or pieces of wood. Respect towards the sovereignty of those consciousnesses is important, which is why I ask for consent before clearing a space. You might be asking yourself, well, what about the sovereignty of the beings that you clear? Shouldn't you get their consent as well? Short answer, no. Longer answer, if someone, even if it's a dear friend, shows up to your home without your permission or invitation, starts to eat all your food and puts their dirty feet on your couch, you are more than within your right to tell them to leave and do whatever you need to remove them. You do not need their consent because they are actively creating harm and not honoring you in your space. Same goes with energetic infringements. Your energetic field should not be an open buffet for parasitic influences, period. Far too often in the paranormal world, people get sucked into the allure of having physical interactions with the unseen world, not fully understanding the consequences of allowing access, whether consciously or unconsciously, to their energetic fields to these parasitic infringements. I don't say this with judgment, 
I mean, this entire House of Wills series is about how I blindly stumbled into a situation that I was not prepared for. So truly, no judgment. There's clearly a desire to reconnect with our inherent abilities to perceive the unseen and unknown, to feel magical again after being raised and conditioned in a deadened, mechanized culture. And I am all for that. Unfortunately, most of us in Western culture are so divorced from any useful knowledge of the spirit world that we fall victim to said parasitic influences. Hence, the vast majority of the population being completely overrun by those influences. Which brings me back to the Airbnb and the three earthbounds occupying it. First, I think it's important for me to state that when I talk about any of my cases, I am almost never relying on historical information. I know that might be frustrating, if not a complete deal breaker for anyone who's used to more traditional types of paranormal investigation shows. I do this for a number of reasons. Mostly, I'm not concerned about proving myself. I am not trying to find evidence of the paranormal. I know it exists. When I am drawn to spaces, it is because it is time for whatever is there to be released. The information I pick up on as to what is occupying the space is incidental to its release, along with any historical information that may or may not confirm my findings. So when I say there were three earthbound spirits in this Airbnb, that could be the energetic fragments of the former owners and tenants, and it probably is. Or they could also be stray consciousnesses, thought forms, or other kinds of beings that happen to show up. Or maybe they're energetic archetypes of the frequency my body is picking up on and my mind is creating a story to help me understand what I'm perceiving. I tend to yes and these things and not bother getting bogged down in specifics. What matters for me in the end is whether or not the space feels better than it did when I arrived. In that spirit, pun fully intended, I invite you to keep an open sense of play with any and all of the information I'm about to provide you. By that I mean don't attach too heavily to the details and allow for the themes to take precedence. Whether or not the earthbounds we encountered really were former occupants of the apartment, what they represented to me personally, because remember, this is my personal experience, therefore I get to decide what it means to me, what they represented was the dangers of nostalgia. I promise this is going to be the last deep dive into a heady concept for this episode, but I really want to examine the idea of nostalgia because it offers needed context to what I experienced at the Airbnb. So hold on, let me get into my NPR voice. The word nostalgia literally translates to homesickness. Historically, in the past, the ennui created by feelings of nostalgia was treated as an ailment in need of curing. 
Industrialized culture, on the other hand, has long fostered and exploited the very real need and desire for better, simpler times in order to perpetuate and capitalize on the feelings of disempowerment that nostalgia stems from. And NPR voice. <laughs> so these nostalgia traps, as I like to call them, offer an alternate reality of the past, one that romanticizes childhood and young adult collective experiences and either downplays or outright erases the more complicated and problematic aspects of political and social upheaval of the time period being idealized. This hyper-ideation creates a yearning for a version of the past that never existed. And yet it feels oh so real to the individual caught in the trap. They bemoan their present, convinced that nothing could ever be as good as it once was, which leads to cynicism, defeatism, or even sometimes impotent rage. This causes a literal disempowerment of their present lived experience as the majority of their attention is being used to fuel the alternate reality. This creates what is called a time field, which is essentially a closed loop of time where the individual goes on autopilot in their lives, stagnating any kind of forward momentum. I'm gonna go deeper into the concept of time fields in the next episode, hopefully interviewing my sister, Kirsten Labita, who came up with the idea. But for now, think of time fields as a bubbled reality that people unconsciously put themselves in when they step out of the flow of their creative lives. Nostalgia traps and time fields tend to beget one another. As you would expect, getting caught in these things is a miserable experience. So it leads to individuals reaching for anything that can create some kind of relief, often going for substances that numb and familiar media and experiences that offer comfort. For example, chances are you know someone who smokes a whole lot of weed and binge watches The Office over and over again. The numbing and the comfort seeking, while understandable, causes a reinforcement of the disempowered reality the individual is living in, causing more misery. And then the cycle continues. Most people in our society lead lives of quiet desperation because of exactly what I just described. Now, taking everything we just discussed, let's turn our attention back to the Airbnb. Earlier in the episode, you heard me describe the atmosphere as thick, stagnant, and stuck. That's because the entire apartment was a time field that was created by a World War II nostalgia trap. This time field was particularly strong because it had been reinforced for decades by at least two generations of the family that lived there. By the time they decided to turn the property into an Airbnb, the frequency of the nostalgia trap was completely entrenched in the space. 
Now, I don't know this for sure, but my educated guess is that the son or the grandson of the couple who died and left the strong earthbound energies is the current owner of the property. Wanting to honor his parents or his grandparents, he named the apartment Love Letters, decorating it with a specific type of memorabilia that invokes the people kissing in the streets version of World War II unconsciously giving in to the effects of the frequency of the nostalgia trap that fuels the time field and the earthbound energies within the space. The people who rent the Airbnb are unwittingly having their energy siphoned off by everything that is going on in this apartment. And it's a popular spot, so it's getting fed quite a bit. Now, if you add everything up, Earthbound energies caught in a space that holds a time field that's existed for decades due to a World War II nostalgia trap that is continually being reinforced by the way the apartment is decorated and themed, that has a constant supply of new energy given to it, and then you throw the full blood moon eclipse and an extremely thin veil between the realities into the mix. It is no wonder that the moment Elizabeth and I stepped into that apartment, our immediate reaction was, fuck this. Act 1, Scene 5, The Clearing. Sometimes the biggest gain in productive energy will come from cleaning the cobwebs, dealing with old business and clearing the desks, cutting loose debris that is impeding forward motion. David Allen. We did it. We made it to the final chapter of this episode. I know I've had you all wading into the depths of some pretty murky waters, philosophically speaking. And well, I want to say, let's come up for air. Uh, Gotta be honest, those dark places of slippery abstraction is where I, and therefore this podcast, live. If you made it this far and enjoyed that deep dive that we went through together, you are truly my people. That said, I know that was a lot. I can practically hear the Monty Python get on with it cut scene as I record this. Done with it. Yes, get on with it. Get on with it. (laughs) Uh, I love it. But there was a reason why I wanted to deep dive into those ideas. They provide a greater depth of meaning and narrative texture than simply just listing off a series of events. Now, when I talk about encounters with earthbounds and time fields, you have a much greater understanding of what I actually mean by those words. You also now understand the idea of energetic consent and how being accessed and fed upon by outside beings is unacceptable. This is something that I will hammer home over and over for as long as I have a platform. It is not okay to have attachments. It is a violation of personal sovereignty. Okay, stepping off that little soapbox, let's finally talk about the clearing of love letters. As I said before, 
All of my clearings have the same basic structure of layering and pulsing frequencies through a space, and this one is no exception. What was different is that for the first time, I felt the need to have the amplifying aid of a crystal. And if I'm going to be honest, I don't think it actually helped, which is why I never bother with them. But because that day was so weird and I was already feeling so drained, there was part of me that was looking for any kind of help that I could get. What I should have done was ask Elizabeth to join me, insisting that it would have helped us both, and it would have. But I didn't want to seem like I was pushing anything on anyone. In hindsight, if I had taken the time to explain the benefit of our combined forces, not only for the space, but how we would feel individually, I know she would have been up for it. But something in me was afraid to approach her with it. Put a pen in that because I'll be exploring that more in the next episode where you'll finally be hearing from Elizabeth herself. I know she's been strangely absent from this episode, but there's a good reason for it that will make way more sense when we finally get there. My friendship with Elizabeth is a relatively new one. We met at book club several years ago and we're loosely in each other's orbit via social media. She and I have had parallel experiences of leaving our husbands and setting fire to our old lives in order to set ourselves free. The first time we met up for coffee, we looked in each other's eyes and immediately recognized the deep emotional suffering and even deeper resilience being reflected back in one another. And then we burst out laughing. To say Elizabeth and I are soul sisters is putting it lightly. The whole way up to Cleveland, our conversations were mostly us celebrating our shared experience of letting go of the familiar past that could only promise mediocrity and walking heart first into the wild unknown of our futures where nothing is certain and everything is possible. We both had actively rejected lives that were comfortably numb. So to walk into the Airbnb A space literally dedicated to staying in the past was like walking into a cautionary tale of what could have happened to us had we stayed in our shitty marriages. And how perfect is that? When I chose this Airbnb, I had no idea it was haunted. It was the right price in the right area. The synchronicity of two women who are the literal antithesis of everything happening in that space, and one of them happens to be a professional clearer, is pretty gorgeous thematically. It took the literal embodiment of forward unflinching progress to come in and collapse the time field that held earthbound spirits of people who allowed themselves to be trapped by their own fear and discomfort of the unknown. Here's all you really need to know about the actual clearing itself. After doing the basic energetic hygiene protocol that you can hear me do in episodes one and four of this podcast, I then turn my attention to the earthbound energies. I'm going to play a clip of the audio that I recorded of this particular clearing so you can get a glimpse of what it looks like. I want to play you this clip to show you that I really do hold these beings with compassion 
honoring them and the living people they came from. You're going to hear Rachel in the background as she chats Elizabeth up outside. She and I are very similar in that we both have voices that carry. Yet another reason why I love her. And I'm opening a portal, essentially, of light that is directly connected with the Earth's source core. And I am inviting any earthbound, any spirit entity that wants to be reincorporated into the Earth to go ahead and step through into that portal of their own volition with deep compassion We know that you love this space. I honor your lives, your homes, your memories, your joys, your sorrows, your entire existence. I honor it and know that you no longer have to stay here in a purgatory. You are free to rejoin your true family within the earth grid, the earth, reincorporating with the earth. So the way I'm seeing it is that this space is really starting to clear out as they step through that portal. Being reincorporated with the earth. Very lovely, very lovely. After I invited the earthbounds and any other beings and consciousnesses to use the portal to reintegrate into the earth, I then did some more frequency layering and pulsing, doing whatever I felt called to do by both my body and my higher selves. By the time it was all said and done, I and the space felt significantly better, but it still didn't feel as good as it should have, and neither did I. The crushing, suffocating heaviness was gone, and it did feel brighter, but it was still off in a way that was impossible to put my thumb on. Not only that, but I found myself feeling way too drained for what was a pretty bog standard clearing. I felt better in that I no longer had a headache or nausea, but it was as if my battery was at 55% instead of the 100% a clearing like that normally puts me at. By this point, I was really starting to get concerned. For as much as I kept laughing at how ridiculous all the weird interruptions, delays, and synchronicities were, I was becoming uneasy, bordering on distressed by everything going so sideways. I was starting to realize that I might be in way over my head and I might be putting the safety of my two friends in jeopardy. If clearing some unexpected earthbounds was kicking my ass that hard, then I wasn't sure if I could keep them or myself safe from something bigger and badder. So here is where I humble myself and admit two major character flaws that I possess that this trip really brought out in me and made me reconcile with. The first is my tendency towards having a cavalier attitude with the paranormal, especially when I'm craving adventure. The second is my use of hyper-masculine bravado and humor when I become scared and unsure of myself. 
For all the wisdom, intelligence, and compassion I usually hold myself in, it all goes out the door the moment I'm scared or bored. It's your tried and true, messed up sense of humor as defense mechanism mixed with I want my life to be a movie situation. I bring this up because the first character flaw is what got us into this situation to begin with, and the second one was preventing me from fully owning up to my concerns with my friends. I was feeling overwhelmed and ashamed that I, the professional energy clearer, had made such a huge error in judgment and thinking that I could easily take on whatever is lurking in the house of wills and that hubris could be potentially putting all of us in danger. So instead of using our time at dinner to really take stock of everything that was happening and have an honest conversation about my concerns, I doubled down on this is going to be fun. Though it was getting harder and harder to convince myself that that was actually true. I sat there in that restaurant with my friends, Elizabeth, who was still visibly struggling with the effects of the Airbnb, and Rachel, who is unfazed by pretty much anything, and then me, weakened, full of doubt, but unwilling to admit that maybe all of this was a terrible idea. The House of Wills tour loomed over our heads as we ate pierogies and tried to enjoy ourselves. And I had a sinking suspicion that a day already fraught with delay and unexpected issues was about to get so much worse. Thank you so much for joining me on this windy, deep dive into my experience of going up to Cleveland to see the House of Wills. This episode has turned into such a beast. I was not expecting it to get so complicated, uh, so complex, and take like what, a month and a half to create? Wasn't expecting that, but I have to say I am so proud of how it turned out and I'm excited to continue down this kind of creative rabbit hole with the second episode. Hopefully it won't take us long to create, but uh, we'll see. I hope you all enjoyed it. I just am so honored for everyone who helped me, everyone who listened to the different parts. Um, just thank you so much. I am really excited to see where, which way from here continues to grow. Yeah. So please check out my social media. There's the Instagram, uh, which period way period from period here. Uh, you'll see the logo. And of course we are also on YouTube. Uh, all of the podcasts automatically post on the YouTube page. And then anytime I do Zoom interviews, I post the interviews on, on the YouTube page as well. And maybe eventually I'll do something with it. But as of right now, it's the podcast and the Zoom interviews. Um, I think that's all I have. Yeah, that's all I have for any kind of housekeeping. I am just... 
like if you're listening to this outro and you listen to that whole big long thing uh thank you thank you thank you thank you i i'm really excited to see where we continue to go i hope you have an amazing day thank you all my friends until next time